Good morning, First Press. Really glad that you are here with us this morning here on this uh, pre-Valentine's Day Sunday. And um, it's hard to believe that just this time last week, we were still waiting for uh, the Super Bowl. And can I just tell you, that game was disappointing in every way. It, uh, the result wasn't great, in my humble opinion, and I have the power of the pulpit right now. Um, it wasn't a very fun game to watch. It just, you know, it wasn't great. But here was the one, the one benefit. <clears throat> we had some leftover snacks. We, uh, we um, went to a friend's house to watch the game, and actually this bag of snacks got left behind. Have you ever had these? This is like the most glorious goodness. This is like salty and sweet popcorn with a little bit of cheese and a little bit of caramel. And it's just, oh, it's so good. And uh, I was so delighted to find out that we left it behind and didn't have to share it. So I'm, um, I don't know if this was Monday or Tuesday I am, uh, I've poured a bowl of it for myself. I'm kind of eating it. And one of my children, you know, understandably, this is the way it usually works in our house. They like walk by me and they reach into the bowl. And it was like, well, protection mode. No! I like guard the bowl. Like, what are you doing? And they're like a little bit surprised, understandably. But it's just so good. And it's mine. And I wanted it for me. See, the problem with that moment is not so much, you know, one of the things I realized as I thought back on that moment, and probably, that probably happened several times a month with four kids and all the sort of eating and moving and shaking that happens in our family. That happens probably pretty regularly. But because of... Uh, kind of what we're studying and working through right now, this series on Wellspring, Living God's Generosity, I, I, I feel like I needed to take a, a step back for a minute and just ask myself, what, what happened in that moment? See, it turns out, like, that wasn't really actually, a, I wasn't about parenting. I wasn't trying to be a good parent. I wasn't trying to teach my kids how to ask before they take something. I was full-on protecting what was mine. It was like animal instinct. No! And I realized I have a lot of work to go. Because it's, if, I, if I'm that way about popcorn, I'm probably that way about other things where I have also just become really comfortable with it. There's probably something about my way of life with my friends and with my people and with my family and with my church where actually it turns out I don't live God's generosity in a very open-handed manner. There's something missing about my character. And probably almost all of us want to say that. Well, yeah, of course, there's always room to grow. But this one kind of hit me kind of uh, hard this week, I just realized I have a long ways to go. 
How can I actually go about building the kind of character in my life that will allow me to be a generous person? Because if I'm that way about a salty snack, I guarantee I'm that way with my time. And I'm that way with my relationships. And I'm that way with my finances. People might not reach in in quite the same way, but I am just as protective. And where we started last week as we stepped into this series called Wellspring, we, we, we leapt into this idea that we have been blessed to be a blessing. This story from Abraham, when, when God says, it's, it's time to get this story set right. It's time to introduce the storyline that was going to bring the hope of Jesus Christ. And you, human beings, are part of setting this, this chaos right. I realize there's over a bowl of popcorn, there's a lot more that I need to do. You might have seen, actually, if you're reading along with us as we seek to read the New Testament together, you might have, you might have seen a Bible passage uh, this week that touches on this very idea. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is asking a slightly different question than the one that I've been asking, but it struck me still. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, if you did receive it, then why do you boast as though you did not? What I realize is there's still a pretty big part of my life where I'm, I tell myself I earned it. Not seeing actually that even my ability to earn it and work for it is in itself a gift from God. It's a blessing from the Lord that I might work and then sort of pour that back outwards. Jesus Christ is the wellspring. He's the, he's the starting spot. He is the, the place where all of the blessing gets poured into and then out through me. And I uh, just, I don't, I've, I, I actually kind of, the more I've been talking about this uh, today, this is my third time, the more disturbed I get by how immature I am by my popcorn story. How do I do it? How can I get better? How can you? How can we? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about today. Um, sort of a brief examination of the life of Joseph right at the end of Genesis. So let's pray, shall we? And we'll talk a little bit about how we can seek to, to grow and build the character that we want and need to have to live God's generosity out and around us. Let's pray. Lord, with invisible threads, you've been pulling all of us into this room and into these places. And as we pause, we want to say thank you for that. Whether we came here with great joy and anticipation or reluctance, here we are. We've sung to you, prayed to you, now, Lord, we want to hear from your words. We can live it back to you. As we listen to it, Lord, would you prompt our hearts and imaginations? Would you prick our conscience? Would you drive our obedience in a way that will be beautiful to you and maybe surprising to our neighbor? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. If you are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. 
And all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, so Joseph, he's in this line that started with Abraham. So this line, we continue to follow um, at least all the way to Jesus. Um, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was named Joseph. I've, um, in, in a sort of lazy way, been saying he's the youngest. He's the second to youngest. Um, and in that role in the family, you can know when you're sort of like in that kind of towards the end of 12. Anyone here have 11 siblings? I'm just curious. Nobody. Okay. Well, you can imagine in the family dynamic, when you get to 11 or 12, you can easily become forgotten. Or you can kind of become like the favorite. And Joseph was the favorite of Jacob's. Lavished him with love and uh, with attention and um, gave him a, a, an ornate coat that we say was a coat of many colors or amazing technicolor, right? Uh, and he was, he was cocky. From very early on, he, he had a sense that God was going to do something with him and through him and in him. And he shared those things, sometimes in an unhelpful way. One of those things was he had this dream where um, he, he was standing up straight and there were these 11 sheaves of wheat that were all bowing down to him. And he made the mistake of telling his 11 brothers this dream. And so that story, in addition to the way he, um, he, he was a tattletale, we read really early on in that story. So his brothers don't like him a lot. And one time, uh, his dad sent him to go catch up with the 11 brothers who were shepherding. And they saw Joseph from a distance. And they conspired to kill their brother. They said, this is our chance. Let's kill him. Well, one of them got a little bit of a pinprick of a conscience. He said, well, let's not kill him right away. Let's, let's just throw him in a cistern. And let's let him rot there. And his idea was he'd, we'd pull him out. But they took Joseph and took his coat and they threw him into this cistern, into this well, and it's dry at the bottom. And he's, you know, he's there for a couple hours maybe. And the brothers are eating a meal and um, some traders go by who are on their way to Egypt. And they sell Joseph to the traders. Like, let's not kill him, let's make some money. So they sell Joseph. And Joseph now is... uh, on this line to uh, be sold into slavery in, in Egypt. And he sold to a man named Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard. And in that role, over time, turns out Joseph has some pretty extraordinary abilities he might not even have known about. But over a couple of years, he ends up overseeing the entire household. And Potiphar keeps on giving him more and more responsibility because he's proven that he can be a good steward of it. Eventually, somewhere in there, Potiphar's wife also um, notices Joseph and and tries to seduce Joseph. And Joseph um, refuses that advance. And she tries again and grabs onto his cloak and he he runs out, leaves the cloak behind and runs out. And now she has this, this cloak of his and and um, she accuses Joseph of trying to seduce her, to force himself on her to Potiphar. 
Potiphar is understandably enraged. And so he has Joseph thrown into jail. I couldn't find a lot on um, the year 3000 BC jail conditions in Egypt, but I don't think they were good. And he finds himself thrown into this place, and, and over time, it turns out, he's, he's so good of a manager, and he's, uh, he's um, so forward-thinking in the handling of, of how to handle something like a, a prison, the warden gives him growing responsibilities to actually run and take care of the prison day in and day out. And eventually, over what we think is probably a couple of years, he um, befriends some of the inmates. In fact, one of them is a, is a cupbearer of the Pharaoh who's been thrown into jail. And this cupbearer has a dream, and Joseph, with a sense of God's presence, says, well, tell me, tell me your dream. Let's see if we can figure it out. And it turns out the promise is the cupbearer will be restored. And in three days, he was And Joseph says, so just remember me. When you get back into the Pharaoh's presence, would you just remember me and defend me and get me out of here? Yes, yes, of course. Didn't happen. For several years, Joseph continues to languish in the prison and run it as an inmate. And then the Pharaoh has a dream. And he's so troubled by it. He just needs to know what it means, and the light bulb goes off for the cupbearer. I know a guy. I know a guy who can tell you what this means. He did it for me before he restored me. So uh, the Pharaoh calls Joseph into his presence and says, I need to know this, this dream. It's like, well, tell me your dream. You know, God brings interpretation, not me, but tell me your dream. So the dream is basically that Egypt is going to go through seven years of extraordinary abundance. But then it's going to go through, the entire region is going to go through seven years of the worst famine they've, they've seen that they have on record. Seven years of abundance, and then seven years of famine. And in a move that I don't quite understand, I can't quite figure out how this happened. They, they say, well, someone needs to help run us, help us run this thing and be ready for it. Who should it be? Pharaoh looks around and chooses a guy who the day before was an inmate and decides, it should be Joseph. I've, I have no idea. I can't. God did that. And so for seven years, there's this extraordinary abundance. And, and Joseph takes that moment and he plans and he squirrels away and he saves and he, he manages. He, he manages the whole kingdom. And then the famine comes. It's two years into the famine. It's been about 22 years since his brothers threw him into a cistern. And his brothers show up in Egypt. It's the only place that has food. And they come and, and they ask for food. And Joseph recognizes him immediately, but they don't recognize him. I mean, they think he's dead or a slave. Joseph's probably wearing like Egyptian like fashion and haircut and language. They, they just don't recognize him. And over a course of events that, you know, are too long for us to recount now, Eventually, he reveals himself to his brothers, and his brothers are understandably panicked. This brother that we sold into slavery, 
now has all the power he would ever want to leverage against us. Joseph says, don't worry, I just, why don't you guys just come? Let me take care of you. Bring my father. Bring the littlest. Come, come, let me take care of you. And so they do. And then, as happens, um, fathers die, and uh, Jacob died. And his brothers are worried. It's the very open closing paragraphs of the book of Genesis. Because they're pretty sure that the only reason why they've been left alive to, to thrive in Egypt is because of, um, because of dad. So then this is what happens next. Genesis 50, right? The very last uh, couple of paragraphs. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. That opening dream comes true. The trajectory of God cannot be stopped. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. And then Joseph dies, and 400 years pass, and we have the book of Exodus. I want to take a minute and sort of look at Joseph's life sort of through the lens of generosity. What can we say about this story and this man that might be helpful and informative of me and my popcorn moment and you and whatever your version of that popcorn moment might be? What can we say about Joseph and about generosity that might be helpful to us now today? And the the first thing that I want to say is this. Generosity calls us to an inward strength. Generosity calls us to an inward strength. You see, when God, who is the wellspring, begins to pour into us, he he gives us the resources that we need to actually survive and maybe even thrive out in the world. That might be true, that is true, both spiritually and in the skills and abilities he gives us in the place where we are. It's it's not a guarantee we're going to be rich. It's not a guarantee we're going to be wealthy, although many of us in this room are. But it is a promise as God has been pouring things into us. We just be seeking to develop that, those, that inward strength that we might actually begin to live the lives of generosity and courage that God has in store for us. 
Last week, we talked about this notion of starting small and then getting bigger. Think about Joseph's life. He, he started as one of 12 shepherds, taking after a pretty large flock. But then he grew by moving into slavery, both downward and upward mobility at the same time, into overseeing a household while he was a slave. More complex, more people, more questions, more money. And then he, he moves up and down at the same time as he, he takes those skills and that ability and that insight. And, and now he's overseeing a prison with all the complexity of what that means at the same time while he is an inmate of that prison. And then he's asked to oversee the management of an entire country. See, he, he took the, the inward skills that he had, the abilities that God first gave to him, and, and he allowed them to grow. He actually spent the time on, on helping them to increase, to then have an impact on the people who are around him, and then around them, and around them. Generosity calls us to develop that which has been given to us, both financially and in our character. I don't know why this is, but over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've been kind of getting excited for the baseball season. I'm not a baseball fan. I don't think that my enthusiasm is going to last longer than the next four to six weeks. But because of it, I've been thinking about this guy. You might know who this is. This is Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson is a, another way of sort of understanding the development of inward strength. See, he's an extraordinary baseball player. That takes real skill and ability. In fact, it takes uh, some gifts from God that not everybody's given. You might have heard that sometimes baseball players say they can even, when a fastball is coming at them, can even see like individual stitches. That sounds crazy to me. But they say it's true. Jack, you know, he, he, he took that ability to sort of hit and feel. He took those, those physical skills and abilities. And he said, I'm going to take those along with these other internal abilities to, of character. And I'm going to join a team. I'm going to say yes to joining a team where I will be the only black player in a culture that is raging in conversations about race. And I will let my skills and abilities, both as a player and in my character as a human being, to be on full display over time as I get the most racist things said to me. As I'm dismissed by both teammate and league and by country alike. I will take the, the skills that have been given to me and I will use them and leverage them to, to change actually an entire nation. He's not the only one, but do you think we would be in the place where we are now, as, as maybe as poor as some of us think that it is, without Jackie Robinson? There's no way, friends. He's taken the, the gifts and skills and abilities that God gave to him and said, I will use these simple things that maybe look worthless compared to the power of, of most of the, um, the white men around me. And I will use them and grow them, and develop them to change an entire national conversation.
knows if in our lifetime, if any of us in this room will get to have that kind of impact. But I can tell you, as we seek to develop and build our own internal strength, develop the actual things that God gave to us to leverage for the world, then the way that we pour that out on this person or that person or four generations past that person, we can have that same sort of world-changing sort of a moment. Might not be that big, but it'll be a wedge. As I think about my own popcorn moment, I just, I've been wondering, have, have I been allowing my own internal character to grow in the direction that God wants it to? And I think the answer is probably no. Probably not. There's room for me to understand more deeply what God has given to me in my ability, in my relationships, with my finances, and use them in a different way, which leads us to the second thing that needs to happen if we're going to grow our character for generosity. First, we have to allow, as I just said, this internal strength to, to take root. But then second, generosity requires an outward focus. It's not generous if you spend all your resources on yourself. Does that sound obvious to you? Well, we do it. When we think about what Joseph was, was able and allowed to do, we don't know a lot about his shepherding life with his brothers. It seems it was, uh, he was on the struggle bus at least. But as he grew and got older and found himself in other circumstances, what we, what we find is actually he, he, he's willing and wants to see the people who are around him thrive. And it starts out with a household. And then, then it turns out to be, as I said, you know, people of much broader circumstance of of criminals and jailers and food and people coming in to bring food because jails didn't really bring food at that time. And then eventually Howard focused to bless an entire nation. Not through his own power, but in the places where God put him. He used the skills and abilities he had to bless those who are right around him, to bless those who are right around them and onward. As Amy and I were talking about this outward focus, I, you might not save a nation from famine. Might not happen. But here's an example, just someone listening carefully. Um, when I was in seminary, Amy and I, we had um, just, all we had was our daughter Hope. The rest were uh, still to come. And I had another friend who was in a different seminary. We'd done some ministry together uh, before we both stepped into uh, some theological study. And we'd call, call and check in from time to time. Every three to six weeks, one of us would call one or the other. And one time we called and we, um, we, we talked about how we were doing and what was happening. And, and Amy and I were in a spot where we couldn't quite figure out how things were going to come together for us financially as graduate students with a daughter um, with a seminary degree that um, doesn't ensure success in life. We shared a little bit about process and where we thought we were um, headed in our sense of call and where the Lord was pulling us, and, and we got off the phone. 
It's a great conversation. I felt encouraged by it. I, I, I trust my friend did too. And, and then about 10, 12 days later, later I, I, we get something in the mail addressed to Eric and Amy Hansen. Um, has, his, uh, has his address and name on it and his wife's. And I was like, well, it's not Valentine's Day. It's not someone's birthday. I wonder what this is. So I open it up. And inside, from one seminarian to another seminarian, is a check for $1,000. It's like, it sounds like you could really use this. I hope that this will be a, a blessing to you. As we spoke, I, I so want you to thrive as you go through this. I, I hope you'll be able to use this to shore up some of the concerns that you have. That's my friend taking account of, of the various things that he has at his family's disposal and saying, actually, there's something that we can do outwardly focused for someone else not inside of our circle. Doing it in a very local way, what Joseph ended up getting to do in a, in a really global way over time. So if we're going to develop the kind of character that lives God's generosity, first, we need to develop some internal strength. Some understanding that God has truly given and gifted us things that um, we can develop and grow. Second, with those things, we need to be outwardly focused in every area and sphere of life. And finally, if we really want to develop this generosity, we need to do this. We need to see that generosity's intent is grace. Generosity's intent is a desire to, to pour out what is unmerited and undeserved on someone else. To see that there's a, a different kind of trajectory than the one that we might actually think is happening in someone's life and that we want to be part of it. See, these brothers of Joseph's, when their dad died, they thought for sure that they were now destined for prison. They were living the story of the moment right here, and all they could see was the dangerous intent of what Joseph might do to them. But Joseph, from the very beginning, has had a very different sense of God's trajectory. And said, I, I know that the things that have happened, the things that you've done to me, you intended to harm me. And that's true. I won't deny that. They did harm me. But what I also want you to know is that those very things that happened, God also has used them to in intend them to be an expression of his grace for thousands of people. You intended it for harm. God intended it to save hundreds and thousands of lives. Friends, that's grace. Not just what God did, but the way Joseph treated this moment, that moment right then. Could he have damaged or harmed or embarrassed or shamed or shackled his brothers? Yeah, he could have. But the trajectory of, of, of his life and the story that he sees God is enacting through him is one of grace, not of repercussion. Walter Brueggemann, who's this 
um, really a remarkable Old Testament scholar and theologian, writing about this moment. He says that, that Joseph exhibits a, a kind of grace that all of us can seek to, to, can seek to, um, to repeat. It says, grace in this moment it, it requires two things. One, it requires clarity about humans and the jeopardy that they are in. The first thing that grace requires is, is clarity that we're in a mess, both physically, economically, spiritually, relationally. The first thing that's required is to have a true view on the mess that we are in. Sometimes we have an abundance of one thing which hides the fact that we are poverty-stricken in the other. He says, first, you need to be clear that there's a train wreck in humanity. He says, and the second thing that Joseph shows us is that's grace is, is not just the clarity, but the certainty that God will work it out by his own faithfulness and power. That's what Joseph has in this moment. He's clear that his brothers are in true peril. And he's also certain that God will work it out, has been working it out by his power and his faithfulness. I love that. I love this idea to, as we seek to live a life of character, of, of grace and of intent and of purpose, that it's, we actually don't have to just live in the story that we're in. We don't simply have to tell our story of this is all the ways that we've been wronged. And these are all the things that have gone bad for me. And I have this huge litany that I want to see made right before I do anything else. Instead, what we see in Joseph, and actually what we see in Jesus Christ himself, is taking a reckoning of what we actually have. Jesus Christ, Son of God, had extraordinary resources at his disposal. And in his outward focus, what he realized, what he knew, why he actually came to address is that humans are in perilous circumstances. And by his grace, he hung on a cross that we might have life. Joseph lived a version of that story. Christ is the preeminent example of what it's like to actually live a, a generous life. And friends, we are now called to emulate that, that we would take stock of the inward strength and resources we have, turn them out, and let them be an expression of unmerited favor and love. That's what it means to live God's generosity. As we end here, I want you to think about what would it be like if, instead of, if it wasn't inward strength and outward focus and a trajectory of grace, what if it was the reverse of all those things? What if it actually, we actually tried to build a life that was only outwardly strong and inwardly focused and we were involved in bitter scorekeeping? What would that life look like? Actually, in a lot of ways, it would look like the life that I hide from everyone else. 
I mean, don't all of us seek to live a life that has the appearance of being outwardly strong? Where we're confident, capable, sort of hold everything off at arm's length so people don't know about our weakness? What ends up happening as we build up this wall around us is there's no choice except for us to become inwardly focused, worried about our own our own selves, whatever we think we deserve, being sort of uber aware of the way we've been wronged, of sort of the aches and pains that we have, and how we're just not maybe quite as, well, maybe speaking for myself, quite as fast as I used to be. What I really need to do before I can do anything else is I have to gather a little bit more. Before I do anything else, I gotta, I gotta get that next zero. Before I do anything else, I have, I, have to, I have to make sure that I have mine and it's securely attached to me. Are you building a life like that? I think what I realized this week is I kind of am. Not in some way where it's all broken all the time, but in a way that actually needs more of God's grace. Are you sort of involved in bitter scorekeeping? Have you decided you, you won't move in some direction in someone's life until they fix something first? Have you told yourself you won't do X until they do Y? Or you won't do X because they've done Z? This is a very normal way for human beings to live. But friends, in Christ, we are a new creation. He's lavishly poured out his grace on us that we might have a different kind of a story. We can live in a different way. We can step into what God has given to us, grow it, pour it out on others, and let it be an expression of his grace for the world. We could do that, and you can do it. What's one small, simple, generous step you can take this week? Something that helps you sort of get out of that pattern of being um, sort of, um, you know, outwardly strong and inwardly focused. Something you know you can do with a person or a circumstance or with your money. Can I just tell you, I know how hard it is to be obedient. I know how, I know how hard it is to, to um, recognize that there's something that you need to do and then to actually do it. But what if he did? What if you found out what it's like to live more like Joseph than his brothers? Let me pray for you. That you take a step forward in living God's generosity this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here together. 
And the silence and the quiet of this room, Lord, I, I pray that the men and women and children and students here will do some work with you. Would you show us, gracious God, how we might grow in what it is you have given to us. Would you show us, gracious God, where we are being called by you in the whisper of the Holy Spirit to be outwardly focused. And would you show us, Lord, where we can be an expression of your grace. Where through the wellspring of your provision, we might pour out unmerited favor on those who are around us. Lord, I pray for the people in this room because when they do that, they might be rejected, scorned. People might be confused by them. Their generosity may be misconstrued. Misconstrued. 